0: Chapter. Uh, we made it through the first six verses, and I want to I want to reread those verses and read through chapter twelve with you this morning before we dive into our study. So, in verse one, it says, "Again, John speaking and telling about um, uh, him uh, and his encounter with Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and Savior." and of these visions, and of these things that he's seen as he was given a glimpse uh, into what was to come uh, that we are still waiting for today. And in verse 1, it says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign, verse 3, appeared in heaven. Behold, a great Fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of all the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule over all the nations. "...with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days." Verse 7, "...and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer." So, verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then John said in verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who, appe- who accused them before our God day and day, And night has been cast down. And they said in verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the end of the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now, verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been cast out to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, so that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth Helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And then in verse 17 it says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I'm grateful again this morning that you have so much love for us enough to give your Son as a sacrifice for us, to continually pour out your grace and mercy upon us that we are in need of every day. Father, that you love us unconditionally. And Lord, you're concerned about our future, about our well-being. And Lord, you desire for us to know your plans, to know what's coming so that we might have comfort and peace and hope in you. I pray, Lord, that as we study through these verses this morning, through the rest of this chapter, that we would understand, Lord, that no matter what we're going through, when it feels like the floods of Satan are being spewed out upon us, that we know, God, and trust and believe that You're greater. Like the song that we sang, Lord, that when the waves and the, and, the, and the winds and the storms of life come upon us, we must keep in remembrance that they still obey You. That You're still in control. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, like I had already said when we began this chapter two weeks ago, uh, we made it through these first six verses, and we examined the symbolic meaning of the two signs that John reported seeing here as we even read about them again. In doing so, we first saw that the woman who is clothed, we read here, with the sun, having the moon under the, her feet and the garland um, of the 12 stars on her head. As we studied back through the Old Testament and seen other places where this was spoken of, we saw how this woman is symbolic of the nation of Israel. Then we looked at how, her mayor, how, how the male child that, that she, we are told here, was ready to give birth to, the child who would rule, rule the nations with a rod of iron, this child is symbolic of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ And in addition to these things, we also examine the second sign that appeared to John. He speaks about it here in verse 3. And in verses 3 and 4, John described that fiery red dragon, that it appeared to him. And according to verse 9, if you've seen that again as we were reading through this, verse 9 of this chapter, it tells us who this dragon is, that this dragon is symbolic of Satan. Yet through the description that John gave of the dragon, we get this really graphic, illustrative picture of Satan, specifically his murderous nature, the power that he does and will possess, and also we get a picture of his desire uh, through this depiction, through this description that John tells us of, of his desire, Satan's desire to destroy anyone who was born of God, or anyone who is for God. Now, in the remaining verses of this chapter that we just read through also, um, we're being told that Satan knows his time is short. He knows that, 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 that in addition to his time being short, that he has been defeated, and even though you and I are not living um, uh, right now, at this time of tribulation that, that we're reading about here, this last three and a half years, we must keep in mind that Satan, who is our adversary, he is today actively looking to resist and overcome those of us who follow after Jesus. Uh, a, a friend today, this last week brought me a t shirt, and on the t shirt, there are two deer. And one one of the deer is speaking to the other deer, and he says, that, I can't remember what exactly he says, he says, oh, he says, good luck with that birthmark. And, and on one of the, the, the one deer that's being spoken to, it, it appears that he's been born with a bullseye birthmark on his chest. And, um, you know, we times feel like that, we feel like we got a bullseye on our chest, and And in that sense, we do. If you are actively loving the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are, if you are following after him and seeking to be God's and be in God's will, it's as if there's been a bullseye painted on your chest. Satan's looking to attack you, to resist you. And um, in the remaining verses of this chapter, as we read these things, there's some things that we have to keep in mind. We need to look at how these end times, our events, are going to play out, Um, but we also must keep in mind this, and it's so easy to lose sight of this, but this perspective helps us to deal with the life that we're living in right now, and it's this understanding that our battle that we fight is physical. Physical or excuse me, it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. And even though it appears that we're battling flesh and blood, things that are in front of us, the truth is, is is it's a spiritual battle. And that's where the war needs to be waged. I recently um, read that when an eagle decides to fight a snake, and I love it that at the end of this chapter, there's this these, these metaphors being used of, of an eagle and Satan being like the serpent. But kind of keep that in mind as I, as, I, as I tell you about this. Because I read, read that when, a, when an eagle decides to fight a snake, it doesn't fight the snake on the ground. On the ground because um, the snake knows how to fight on the ground. Rather, what the eagle does is it takes the snake up into the sky, it it changes the battleground, and then it releases the snake into the air. And it does this because the snake has no power in the air, it has no balance in the air, it can't strike the eagle or attack it. In fact, the snake is weak, it's vulnerable, unlike when it's on the ground, when it is cunning and diddly. And in light of this, it should remind us that this spiritual battle that we're in, that, that, that when we engage the battle, we, like the eagle, must take the fight into the air, into the spirit realm. Because when we're in the spirit realm, the Bible tells us that's where we find strength. We find strength as we rely upon God's power and upon God's might. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 4, it it tells us this. And and, and when you look at these verses in light of that, it kind of opens our understanding. In verses 10 through 18, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he's warning the elders and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, how do we do that? We've got to take the battle to the air. We've got to understand that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things. And, and, and in doing so, we then are strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. And, 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 and then Paul goes on to, to define what this looks like. And he says, therefore, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the trickery of the devil. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And again, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And let me tell you, this is the evil day. It is. This is the evil day. And he says, Having done all to stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. See, lots of times the battles we in that that we perceive are physical are are perceived to be with the person that is in front of us, whether they call themselves friend or call themselves foe, whether that, that battle even we think might be Need to be fought on a on a political scene, or 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 that's just an example to help us understand these battles that we think that we're engaging in, and where we need to fight, and where we direct our attention, and 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 really we lose sight of it if we make those things the primary things. Sometimes those things need to be addressed. Some things, times, those things need to be dealt with. We need to be proactive and take action. But if we're not taking these things first, we're never going to have any strength to do what God calls us to do. You're going to be overcome by the devil. You will, by the evil one in these evil days. And so he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, girding your waist with the truth. What is the truth? And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, I love that word because it simply means right living. This is how the spiritual battle is engaged. With truth, with right living And he says, and having covered your feet or shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And and I love that because it just again puts our focus on the centrality of everything that we do needs to be Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news message. But he says, above all things, take up the shield of faith. With which you will be able to quench the attacks, all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and he says, with all of those things, okay, with all of those things having been covered with you, putting those things into place, he says, This, this is what it always comes down to. He says, praying always with all prayer in supplication in the Spirit. Prayer. Now, we see here that Satan in his rage is determined to deceive, to murder, and to destroy as many people as he can. And and if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know that Satan can even get to us as believers. God sustains us, God protects us, but if we're not engaging this battle in a way that the Word of God says, we become vulnerable. And we have had friends and family members and loved ones who had been fully in fire for the Lord who are now cold. Who are now backslidden. And if you're not careful, if we're not careful, we can end up in the same place. There, But for the grace of God, go us. And Satan painted a bullseye on us. And as we see these things, and we look at this chapter, if we bring these things into perspective, we look at this chapter, and, and what we see is that it's even going to get worse as the end draws near. And some of us are going, the Lord's got to come back soon, just like we sang, because how can it get much worse than what it already is? But it will. And according to this chapter... We are told that there is soon coming a day when Satan who now still has access to heaven that he will gather these these demonic forces of his and even attack heaven. We think that's pretty futile. Obviously Satan is super deceived or he thinks that there's a chance. He'll attack heaven, but Satan will, will, he will respond to his defeat. He will be defeated, and he'll be cast out of heaven. And, and as he responds to this, we're told that he will unleash his anger upon those who dwell upon the earth at this last three and a half years of the tribulation. He'll release an anger that the world has never, ever experienced yet. And this includes the Jewish people at that time. Yet in this chapter, we are told that God will supernaturally intervene and protect them. And that's, the, that's really what we want to focus on as we go through this this morning. Not on what Satan can do and what he will do, but on the fact that even though we may have a bullseye on us, is that God protects us. God intervenes and watches over us. And this is what we read as we go back to the text. And in verse 7, we say, it says, And war broke out in heaven... Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angel, angels fought. But they did not prevail, and nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. Now, the fact that Michael, an angel here who is mentioned by name, and the angels that are under his command, the fact that these angels are the ones who will fight against the dragon and his demons, it's significant. It's significant because this has been a battle, this, these angels and Michael have been fighting against Satan and his forces for a long time. And all throughout Scripture, when we, when we do a word search on the angel Michael, the mighty angel, the prince or the archangel, whose name means one like God, we see that he is repeatedly attached or identified with the nation of Israel. There's always a connection. Anytime Michael's on the scene, it's in relationship to the nation of Israel. And when you study through passages of Scripture that tell about this angel, we see that he has ultimately been put in charge of their care, like a guardian angel over the nation of Israel. Over the nation of Israel. In fact, a good example of this is found in those prophecies that attach to what we've been studying through if you look back to Daniel chapter 9 and 10. And in chapter 10 of the book of Daniel, we're told that as a result of Daniel's prayers for his people who were at that time in Babylonian captivity, Daniel began to receive prophetic visions. So Daniel was interceding for the nation of Israel. He knew that the time of their captivity was coming to an end because he had the the prophecies from the book of Jeremiah, which he had been studying and reading. And so he begins to pray for his people, for the nation. And as a result of his prayers, God starts giving him these, these holy visions, these supernatural visions that were telling of things to come. And as Daniel prayed and these visions came... Daniel had, we read that Daniel had received one of these visions, and he reported that after receiving this vision, his strength left him. That spiritual encounter sapped him of physical strength, causing him to be literally on his hands and knees with his face to the ground. Then in that moment, Daniel says that he felt a hand rest upon his shoulder. And Daniel didn't see, but he felt the hand and rest upon his shoulder while his face was to the ground. And he tells us that it was the hand of a mighty angel who had been sent to him by God to help him. It was an answer to his prayers. And the angel explained that that he had been sent to Daniel as soon as he had prayed 21 days prior to this day prior to that, that, that day that Daniel had first prayed. But this angel, he says, he reported that he had been delayed. He said he had been attacked in the spiritual realm by a demonic angel of Persia and who was preventing him from reaching, Dan- reaching Daniel. In fact, the angel told Daniel that the demon was able to withstand him. This demon had strength to withstand an angel of God. But Michael he says, the archangel had come to help him get free. Now at the end of chapter 10 in the book of Daniel, in verse 21, this angel stated that Michael, he comes out and he just tells us this. He says, Michael is the angel. He's telling Daniel, he's the one who has been assigned to battle in the spiritual realm for Daniel's people. And this same statement is mentioned again in chapter 12 as Daniel was told that Michael is the one who will protect the nation of Israel and will rise up to fight on their behalf during the seven years of tribulation as Satan in all of his anger is vomiting upon them. And in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will stand up. He will rise up, and there will be a time of distress, such as not has happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, he says, Your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, they will be delivered. Our names are written in that same book. It's called the book of life. Those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this event that speaks of Michael who stands watch over Israel and who will stand up for the Hebrew people, this is what we're reading about here in chapter 12. So Michael is seen battling with this dragon here in chapter 12 in heaven. And we see that it's Satan's, Satan's hatred for the, for the nation of Israel and for the Hebrew people, for God's people. It's his hatred that is motivating him to make this assault against the throne of God. But here, in verses 8 and 9, we're told that Satan will be defeated by Michael. But they, it says in verse 8, did not prevail, nor was there found for them a place in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world and he was cast to the earth with his angels who were cast out of heaven with him. So Satan and his demons, they will be defeated and they will be cast out of heaven and they will be brought down to the earth and they will never be allowed to return to heaven again. But keep in mind, That Scripture tells us that for now, Satan is allowed into heaven. He does get to go before the presence of God. And when we began this chapter a couple of weeks ago, I pointed out that Satan comes before God. And you think, why would he do that? What business would he have there in the throne room of God? And the Bible tells us that he goes there because of us. He goes there... To accuse us of our sins. He's a tattletale. He goes there to slander us before God. In fact, here in verse 10, Wow, Curtis, did you break this last week? It tells us that Satan goes there, the Bible says, every day and every night, day and night. He's relentless. He goes there day and night so that he might accuse the brethren. And you know, and there's a good example of this that's found in Scripture in a conversation between God and Satan retor- recorded in the book of Job, specifically in chapter 1, where we read how Satan comes before God to accuse Job, to slander and attack his character. And in in chapter 1 of the book of Job, in verses 6-11, through it says this. It tells of this account, this story. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. Then the Lord said to Satan, Where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, I come from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Well, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you made a hedge around him and his household and around everything that he has on his side? In other words, he's saying, the only reason Job loves you and serves you is because you're like Santa Claus to him, is, is kind of what Satan's Because you bless him. Because you give him good things. He says, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions. You have increased in the land. But, but Satan, again, kind of intervening in the way he does against us, he says, but now speaking to God, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and surely he will curse you to your face. In other words, Satan was coming before God and he was saying, "Job's no good. Job doesn't really love you." And that's what Satan does for us. He watches our lives. He and his little demon minions and they go and stand before God like, 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 the, like, the, <laughs> like the tattletale son or daughter that we've all experienced and tattles on one of their kids. In case you didn't know, and I love it that it points it out here. It says in verse 9, it speaks of that serpent old and he said he's called devil and Satan. Do you know the Greek word for, de- for, for devil is the word diabolos? And it literally means accuser or malicious slanderer accuser or malicious slander. So really that word devil and also Satan is really a description a, a word used to describe the serpent to describe Satan to describe Lucifer. And and furthermore, the name Satan is the Greek word Satanas and it means adversary. An accuser or a malicious slander, an adversary. And so Lucifer Which is the serpent who is spoken here, first off, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that's his God-given name, the serpent. His name is Lucifer. Yet he's referred to as the devil and as Satan because he's our adversary. He stands before God at the throne of God to fight against us, to slander us and to accuse us just like he did of Job. But the Bible tells us that someone else is standing before God. Someone else is standing there, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that he stands there as our advocate, and he intercedes on our behalf day and night. In other words, Jesus is like our spiritual lawyer, and he represents us, and he defends us, and he he defends us against the attacks of Satan, and in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it tells us this saying, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, we don't got to defend ourselves, whether it's on this side of eternity or in the next. As a matter of fact, there's a psalm uh, that says that God will bring forth our justice as the noonday. And you know what? When you're being attacked, when you're being accused, even if it's the truth, what do we want to do? We want to defend ourselves. That's part of the physical battle that we get drawn into, and we're told not to. We're told to put on truth, we'll put on righteousness, put on faith. Use the Word of God and pray. Remember, Jesus, even as He went before His accusers, He was what? Silent. Because He knew the battle wasn't physical. He knew it was spiritual. And He always lives to make intercession for us. Whether we're being accused on this life or done unjustly in this life, or even if it's the truth, Because there are times when we blow it. There are times when we sin. There are times when we do the wrong thing. More times than not, right? But even in those moments, God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness is enough. Jesus doesn't represent us because we're innocent. He represents us because he's cleansed us. He's purified us. He stands as our Savior and makes intercession for us, saying, Don't worry, I got it. Remember, in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, it kind of gives us this, and it says, In view of all this, what can we say then? If God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly not God, who did not even keep back His own Son, but offered Him for us all. He gave us His Son, and will He not also freely give us all things? Who will accuse God's chosen people... God Himself declares them not guilty, slamming the gavel. Who then will condemn them? Not Jesus Christ, who died, or rather was raised to life, and is at the right hand of the side of God, pleading with Him for us. And Jesus has the right to come before God. He has the right to come before God, the Father, the Creator of all things, on our behalf, because He died for us. He paid the price. He made the sacrifice, which was perfect, and His blood, which is sinless, now covers us And now our sins are forgiven and we are made to be overcomers. Overcomers of Satan's accusations, overcomers of Satan's slanders, overcomers of Satan's lies. In other words, our salvation is secure because our eternal lives are not only saved but also sustained by the finishing work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And here in verse 11 and 12, we go on and it says, Then and now today, and they overcome, overcame him, the serpent, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice. Think about that. Therefore, rejoice. Do you have any other greater thing to cry out to God and say, Praise you, amen, and be filled with joy? Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them! But woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. You know, in light of this, I wanna, I wanna, I think it's important to point out um, and remind us of the fact that Satan's not equal with God. You know, the world has this understanding that that somehow Satan and God are in this this battle, this struggle, and it's like, oh, God, God's losing, and all Satan's winning, and it's like, you know, Satan's just a creative thing. He's not a God. <clears throat> and any power he has is because it's been given to him for a time. You see, Satan is not all-powerful like our God is all-powerful. Satan, he cannot be all-places like our God can be all-places. At one time. And he is not all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing like our God is. However, like I pointed out when we studied through the first six verses of this chapter, Satan has been given a measure of power for a time. And the truth is, hear me out. The truth is, even as sons of God, you and I, Satan's not afraid of us. He's not afraid of us. But he is afraid of our big brother. He's afraid of our big brother, Jesus. And like it says in John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in us than Satan who is in this world. In light of this, listen again to what we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Where it tells us, on uh, uh, where it instructs us, not only in how to fight, but it reminds us of the type of battle that we're in. Saying this, finally, Paul says, "My brethren, be strong in your big brother. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ." Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheming of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness, against the rulers of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Keep that perspective. You know what? The truth is that Satan will even get in the midst of our marriages, in the midst of our families, and, and things will begin to get chaotic at our workplaces with little bugs flying through the air. the <laughs> Satan will get in this physical realm that we live in and he'll want us, even within the church, to turn one on one another and go, that's your battle. That's what you need to be fighting against. And it causes division and it causes hurt and it causes suffering. And husband and wife go at each other and we turn on our own family members, our neighbors. And that's not where the battle is. And if we don't have this perspective, we're never going to win because we turn on one another and Satan sits back and he laughs and he's done exactly what he wants to do. The point is, we are overcomers through the blood of Jesus Christ. We overcome because of Jesus Let me give you a little bit of perspective in this. See, often when we engage in these kind of battles, when we're being attacked, um, the thing that happens is we try to figure out a way to win, no matter what the problem is. And for me, this usually happens when I'm alone, lots of times at night when I'm trying to fall asleep, and I'm going through my mind like a broken record player. I'm rerunning the situation or the problem or the person right? That I think the physical problems with over and over and over again. And it may even be my sin because that can be part of the battle too. We think that we, that our flesh is what we got to fight against. And then we somehow got to figure out to defeat it. But even then the Bible tells us don't do that. It says be strong in the power of the Lord and His might. Walk in faith. Let the Holy Spirit live through you. But the problem is, is we get in those ruts where we're, we're there over and over again in our mind and we're trying to figure out how to win. We're trying to figure out how to get joy and peace in the midst of the situation that the situation that we're in has robbed us of. And we forget to turn to Jesus. We forget that we are already overcomers, that we've already won through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we think about that often and we know the gospel message and we go, yeah, my eternal salvation is secure. As if God does not concern himself with our lives right here and right now as there is an adversary and a slanderer coming after us. He is and he does and he's given us a way to fight the battles. And it's through the blood of Jesus, through the work of Jesus, to be strong in His power. To be strong in His might. As a matter of fact, when you go to Philippians chapter 4, it tells us that in those moments, don't meditate on these things, right? It says but meditate on what is true, noble, pure praiseworthy, and of a good report. And when we do these things, Paul says, finally, he says, when we do these things, that the God of peace, Jesus Christ, he'll be the one to guard our hearts and our minds and give us a peace that surpasses the understanding. And it's not because the situation's fixed often, but it's because we know that our big brother's got it. That God says he's gonna work it out. That all I have to do is trust in him, put on the armor, and enter into prayer. Stop trying to fight the battle on your own or in your own strength. Because all we do is end up defeating ourselves. You see, not only are we overcomers through the blood of Jesus Christ, but it tells us we're also overcomers through the word of our testimony. Did you see that? And the testimony is this story that each of us has been given that further explains how Jesus has saved us, when Jesus has saved us, and what Jesus has saved us from. Furthermore, our testimonies are the ongoing account. It's the everyday life that we live of how we have been changed where we go, man, this is what I used to be like and this is what I'm like now, but you know what? God's still working on me. He's still working in me. That's part of the testimony. Our testimony doesn't begin and end with the day of salvation. It continues on every day. It's the testimony and when we share our testimonies, you know what that is? You know why we overcome with our testimonies? Because it's an opportunity to proclaim that we stand in the strength of the Lord. That we stand in His power and in His might today. We don't go, yeah, since I became a Christian, I got it all figured out. <gasps> right? No, it's, we stand, it's a testimony, you go, I'm nothing without Jesus. You know what's awesome? Is people come through those doors that don't know Jesus and they know they're nothing. They're broken. They're weary. They don't know where to cast their burdens. And they don't, know, they don't need self-righteous people that go, ha ha. They need people who share their testimony and go, you know, I'm just like you. I am nothing without Jesus. But let me tell you about my testimony. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done when He did it and how He's doing it still today. There's power in this. We're overcomers through our testimony. This ongoing account of how we have been changed and how we are being changed. And when we share our testimonies, there's this opportunity, like I said, to proclaim the, that we stand today and always will in the strength of the Lord and in the power of His might. Furthermore, Satan... He's the one that's overcome by the testimony because it's a spiritual weapon. Your testimony, my testimony that lives today is a weapon of warfare that God will use to draw those whom we tell to him. In fact, this is why Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 8 says that he is not ashamed of the gospel message for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So it's by the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimonies. But notice also here in verse 11, we're told that another way we overcome our adversary, the accuser, is by not loving our lives even unto death. By letting go and going, even though, like what Job said at the very end, even though he slays me, even though he slays me, I will still praise God. Him, even unto death. In other words, Satan is overcome. Listen, guys, Satan's overcome when we give up our lives. That's part of the spiritual battle that we're in. You see, the physical realm tells us to hold on to our lives, right? The physical battle that we're in, sometimes that's right before us, that we mistake as as physical when it's spiritual, is that we try to protect ours, ourselves. We hang on. And you know what? Pride's usually a big motivator of that. But when we humble ourselves, when we give up our lives on this earth and follow after Jesus, this is too how we become overcomers. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 25. He said, he who loves his life, he'll lose it. You want to hang on to your life thinking you can protect it and gain it and defend it? He says, you'll lose it. But he who loves his life will lose it and he who hates his life or gives up his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Furthermore, Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 through 26, he If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, it tells us here that all of us who have overcome that we'll rejoice on that day when Satan, this accuser is finally cast out of heaven. And we'll be there, and we'll see it. It'll be an awesome day. He'll be gone. But we also told that the inhabitants of the earth will not consider that, 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 that Satan's eviction... Uh, they won't consider it to be a, a rejoicing thing because Satan's eviction will bring either, even a greater suffering for them during the last three and a half years of this tribulation. And Daniel was told by the angel that visited him, he said, it'll be like it has never, ever been, Ever. And the woe spoken to them, it says here in verse 12, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. This woe is a reminder of the three woes that we began with back in chapter 8, verse 13. So in this passage, we see that in part, this last of the three woes... As we've been looking through this chronologically, as we've been studying through, the last of these three woes that will come upon the earth includes Satan being cast out of heaven, and as a result, then releasing his full satanic hatred upon the nation of Israel and any person who comes to follow Jesus during this time. And it says in verse 13, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child, Jesus, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. God intervenes. God comes to the rescue, that she may fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time three and a half, or, or for a times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. So, the serpent, he, he attacked, he spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So in other words, when Israel was protected, the offspring who've been born through Jesus Christ, those who will be saved during this tribulation time, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, it says, that's who Satan's going to turn on. The worship team wants to come up. Um, uh, Justin, Amy, we're going to end with this. Knowing that time is short. Guys, is time short? Time short. I love that song we sing. Jesus is coming soon. You know what? The Holy Spirit's the one that inspires worship. You know, it's not these men and women who we here are these Christian artists, all down through, through, through history, down through time. And if you study and, and, and read and, and, and look chronologically at how the Holy Spirit has led great men and women of God to, to lead us into worship, to bring forth these great songs to praise God, you see that they're all kind of reflective of an age. Well, have you noticed more and more and more that the worship that God's giving our leaders has to do with His return, His coming back? God's telling us something every day, every way. All you got to do is open your eyes, open your heart. Time is soon. And Satan knows it, that that Jesus is coming back soon. And we see that when he no longer has access to to, to, to heaven, that he, through the Antichrist, is really what we're reading here, and we'll talk about that in the next couple weeks to come, that he'll turn and he'll attack the nation of Israel. But God will intervene. This is what we have to see, because God is always intervening on behalf of his people. In, in the nation of Israel, in the church today, where, where even Jesus said, the, the church is going to prevail. Even though all the forces of hell come against us, the church as a whole, God's kingdom is going to prevail. But even more so on a personal level, an application to our own lives today, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, God promises to supernaturally intervene. He's given us the tools to do so. He's given us the resources. He's put His Holy Spirit inside of us. He's given us the Word of God. He has even given us the measure of faith to first to believe in Him and then He builds upon that day by day by day strengthening our faith in Him so that we may be able to stand and call upon the only one who can deliver us and help us in our time of need. Jesus Christ. Our Savior. Our Helper. I'll just briefly close with this. You can do this study on your own. We're running out of time. I want to point you to the fact that during this time that we're reading about, uh, it looks very... uh, It appears that Israel will be hidden or protected by God in a specific place. And you you can determine this I wish I had more time to go into all this, but you can look in Isaiah chapter 16 and um, verses one through five where it talks about the Moabite people and the the city of Petra, which has been recently discovered not too long ago. Um, You take that prophecy and it looks like during this time, the things that are being talked about, that's where God's going to protect his people. He's going to do it in a real way, a physical way, a literal way, and it's going to come at this time when Satan comes to destroy them, just like he's tried over the years. I'm trying to devour that male child that was given birth, uh, uh Jesus Christ. And and in all of these things, to close and to end with this morning, I know that every one of us faces trials. Every one of us faces persecution, difficulties. I've had the opportunity to speak to some of you over the last days, weeks, and this last year, even and 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 I've heard things like it just keeps coming like a flood. One thing after another. Challenges, whether it's marital, financial, with your children, with things in your work, or, or even if it's not happening to you personally and directly. You look around at the world around us and you see war being waged and attacks coming. And you know what? Those things should be no surprise but if nothing else, if you take nothing else from this study this week and, and other than this one thing, uh, you'll be fine. God knows. And He has a plan. And it includes yours and I's salvation, but it also includes our protection and His sustaining us in this life until He comes and takes us. Greater it's he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that we don't have to be depressed, discouraged, or overwhelmed with what's going on in this world or what we're dealing with individually and personally. God, we have hope in you. We know, God, that you are our shield, that you are our strength, and that we can stand strong in your might. And I pray, God, that if anyone's here this morning who's feeling overwhelmed, that is feeling, God, like the situation that they're in is more than they can candle, more than they can carry, I pray, Lord, that they would release it and cast it to your feet, that they would set their mind upon you. And, Lord, that you would intervene in their heart and in their mind in a way that you can only can. God, let us look to heaven. Let us look to the promises that you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Hey man, why don't you guys stand with us and sing the last song of worship together.